Hello everybody and welcome to this beautiful second day of fall, September 23rd, 2016. Thanks for joining us on the Agsay Daily Friday podcast. I am Caitlin, I will be your host today. I am the editor and curator for the Agsay Daily newsletter and for the site. We are very excited because you can now subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You just have to look up the title. The link is in our Instagram bio. It's on the website. So if you want to subscribe, that'd be awesome. And then you will automatically get these podcasts sent to your phone and they will be downloaded for you to listen to every Friday morning. So that'd be really an easy way to listen to them. Also, just a reminder that we do have a Twitter and Instagram account at Agsay Daily. You can keep up with us there every day on breaking news and what goes on behind the scenes in the newsroom and how we put together the newsletter and everything. So that's pretty cool. So today, uh, like we said last week, we're going to be talking about Afghanistan. Afghanistan is a country in some say the Middle East, some say Asia. It's kind of right on that border. It's between Pakistan and Iran. And the United States has been involved in military conflict there since October 7, 2001. It is the longest war the United States has fought in and sometimes also referred to as the Forgotten War. We seem to have a bit of collective amnesia about the fact that we have thousands of troops in that country and not a lot of people really seem to understand why we're still there or what we're doing there, what we've accomplished there, what's really going on there politically and militarily, what the conflicts are. So today we're going to try to go through some of that, give a little background, and then go through some of what's going on right now, especially in the political sphere. The United States has been fighting in Afghanistan since 2001. Originally, we were fighting with just the United Kingdom. Starting in 2001, we were joined by NATO in 2003. They took over the mission, and they commanded some U.S. troops, and there were some U.S. troops under just CENTCOM. You could kind of divide the periods 2001 to 2003 when NATO got involved, then 2003 to 2014 with the withdrawal, and then 2015 to present because we still do have troops there although technically the the NATO mission is over in that country. Um, In 2011, a lot of the combat roles started to be transferred to Afghan forces from the NATO forces, so you could also have that as kind of a breaking point in the timeline. After the withdrawal agreement that happened in 2014 between U.S. and Afghanistan, troops were allowed to stay. There's about 13,000 troops left. 9,800 of which were Americans, and there's also 26,000 military contractors, which we seem to kind of forget that those people outnumber the troops there. 26,000 military contractors, most of which are employed by the United States and are still in that country. We went to Afghanistan because of 9-11, because the Taliban government refused to extradite bin Laden and other terrorists who we felt were part of the September 11th attacks. We gave them a deadline. They passed that. The United States claimed that this was a sort of mechanism to delay and to give more time to these terrorists to either hide or escape into Pakistan. And so the U.S. invaded. The Taliban government was toppled very quickly. And 
they were toppled by forces from the U.S. and the U.K., and those forces were joined by the Northern Alliance, which was formed in 1996, actually before we got there. It was formed to fight the Taliban when they started. It was formed in 1996. It's mostly ethnic Tajiks. It was supported by Iran, Russia, and China. So just think about those people who are supporting them. And they fought against the Taliban, and then they were actually allied with us after 2001. And they are now broken apart into different political groups, although you can still see some links between those people that were previously part of the what was known as the Northern Alliance. After the Taliban was toppled, Hamid Karzai was elected or selected as the head of the Afghan interim administration. He was in power for a very long time. He was subsequently elected as president of Afghanistan. And he is from a political family in Afghanistan. He's very smart as far as who knows who, what the tribal alliances are there. And he has made it clear that he will stay involved in Afghan politics, which is going to come up later in our discussion. But he definitely understands how their power alliances work and how to manipulate those in his favor. He kind of almost seems to believe that he's the savior of modern Afghanistan. You know, he was the first leader of Afghanistan after the Taliban was toppled. The Taliban was the first religious government that Afghanistan had. And so it was kind of a way to say, we're going back to how things were before when we were a more open society. I mean, we can kind of have a grim picture of how things were under the Taliban. Women weren't allowed to be educated. They had to wear head coverings. They were not allowed out of the home. We can see where that would be a really bad situation and where that could have led to some of the development issues that Afghanistan has now. And so we can also see why Hamid Karzai might be popular in the country among certain groups because he was kind of the face in part of the new hope for government in Afghanistan. In 2011, bin Laden was killed. He was killed in Pakistan by U.S. Special Forces, not in Afghanistan. He was in a compound there in Abbottabad, if anyone's seen that movie. I can't remember what it's called, but he was killed in Abbottabad, and um, there is a lot of evidence to say that ISI, which is the Pakistani intelligence agency, knew where he was or that he was there or that he was in the area, and they didn't tell us the Pakistan is quote-unquote our ally. So that's a whole other dynamic that we'll get into later in the conversation. But Pakistan is really important. Hamid Karzai is really important to how Afghan politics plays out and how Afghan security concerns have lingered even after we would have thought they would have gone away. The UK left Afghanistan, so they were our original partner. The UK left Afghanistan in October 2014. NATO formally ended combat operations in December 2014. And by that point, a lot of the security operations had been already given over to Afghan forces, which have shown themselves to be not necessarily by fault of the individual people in those, but by the bureaucratic means at which they were set up and the rampant corruption that goes through all levels of government in Afghanistan. They've shown themselves to be severely incompetent in keeping the people of Afghanistan safe 
keeping the people of Afghanistan safe from threats both within and without. There are two looming or ongoing centers of conflict in, in Afghanistan. One is security apparatus, the security situation there, and the other is the political sphere. They're obviously, they go together, they are linked to each other, but they can kind of be separated out as far as discussions go. So we're going to talk about both of them. The security sphere of this kind of double problem is what we hear about most in the news. We hear, just for a brief overview, the Taliban is resurgent, there's more attacks on civilians, there's more attacks in urban areas, especially Kabul. There's higher levels of violence, there's high number of CAS, which is close air support, and other airstrike missions. And we see this picture coming through, kind of drip by drip, on the news. We see the security concerns, we see that this many people died and we can put a number on that. What we haven't really made clear is that there is a much, not much more, but there is a looming political crisis that will make those security concerns so much greater and that's the cliff we're going to fall off first. And that is the fact that currently Afghanistan is run by the National Unity Government, which is a power alliance between the two people who are running to be president in the 2014 elections. And There was some issues with voting numbers and who won. So basically what happened is they both became leaders of the country. One is Ashraf Ghani. He's the president of Afghanistan. He does not have a political background. He is U.S. educated. He is fluent in English and he has a background in international development. And the other is Dr. Abdullah Abdullah. He became chief executive officer, so CEO of Afghanistan. And that position was supposed to be, by September 30th of this year, made into the prime minister position by amendment in the constitution, as well as other reforms were supposed to be passed by this election cycle. And those things have not been passed. They haven't been passed through. The constitution hasn't been changed. And it seems like that's really not going to happen by the deadline, which could spell the end for the national unity government. So that's, you know, that's only one political party, there's opposition parties and other people could be elected and so on and so forth. But that was their deal with the country and with each other was that this was going to happen and it doesn't look like that's really going to happen. Those two people, Ghani and Abdullah, they do not get along. They're not friends. It's kind of an open secret that they don't really get along very well. And we see this conflict between them and this inability to govern as an opening for opposition. So there's basically three opposition groups to the National Unity Government. One of them is Abdullah's supporters, one of them is Karzai's supporters, and the other one is the Afghanistan Protection and Security Council. So Abdullah Abdullah's supporters, he has warlords on his side, he has a bunch of people from the formerly known Northern Alliance. You have Karzai's supporters, which are a lot of government people. It's a lot of people who have experience in the tribal relations in Afghanistan. And then you have the Afghanistan Protection and Security Council, which is headed by a former warlord. And it's not really, no one really thinks they're going to get elected, but they're pressuring people. So they're basically making their case known and saying, we're going to be in this election because we have something to say. 
the supporters, especially of Dr. Abdullah Abdullah, are asking for a lot of concessions, a lot of political concessions, a lot of financial incentives, a lot of, well, you have to give our people these positions in government in order to go forward with these things that the National Unity Government was was supposed to accomplish this year and last, the two years they've been in, in office. And the problem is that Ghani, who is the president currently, is... He's very unyielding. He's very bureaucratic. He's a bit unaware sometimes of the tribal alliances. He's a bit unaware sometimes of how power works in Afghanistan. He's He was educated in development, which seems like it would be good for Afghanistan because they are severely underdeveloped and they're very far behind on every single development factor that you could think of, you know, education, health, child mortality, all that all those factors that you use to measure development, they're behind. They're last or almost last in almost everything. So you have someone who's educated in those things, but he doesn't understand necessarily how to work through the alliances that already exist and the people who already know each other are related to each other in the same tribe. He doesn't necessarily understand those things. And we as outsiders are probably never going to understand those things. And So for the U.S. to be on his side, we're kind of putting ourselves in the position of always being on the outside. And we have thousands of troops stationed there who are fighting there and who have been there. We have thousands of people who have died in that country. And so we really do need to be paying attention to the people that our country is supporting. Now, the U.S. helped broker the National Unity Government deal. So we did make sure that there were people in government that understood what was going on and all of that. And we did support Hamid Karzai when he was president. He obviously really understands what's going on. He's very good at manipulating those kind of ties and alliances and brokering deals that he feels like will increase his own power. So the point of knowing these things and knowing this information is that we have to be able to have this global awareness so we can require either more or less action from the U.S. government or from our military and more answers to what the U.S. actually wants to accomplish there, what our end goal is there. And I I know we talked about this in the last podcast, defining goals is really important, especially when our military is involved because people's lives are on the line and power is on the line, which is really important for countries. And so we need to make sure that we understand and that our government is very good about telling us as the American taxpayers, as the voters, what the situation is, what's happening on the ground, what we like or dislike, and what our goal is. And obviously, like, we're never going to get all of the details because some of that you don't want to publish, some of that you don't want everyone to know. But to have a broad goal would be good because the original goal was get bin Laden, right? But we got bin Laden and we're still there and he wasn't even there anymore when we got him. And there's a lot of evidence to show that we knew he wasn't there. So having an awareness of what's going on, having an awareness of the fact that Afghanistan seems to be about to go over a cliff because of, not because of the security concerns, not because of 
something we can change with our military, but because of political mishandling of situations and political missteps, that's really important to know that stuff. So I know this one has been a bit shorter than last week's. I had a couple comments saying last week's was too long. I had a couple comments saying it was not long enough. So we're just going to try to strike the difference. Um, just to wrap up here, it's really important to understand what's going on, especially in countries where we have troops and a lot of troops and a lot of contractors. And we've been fighting this war for so long. Basically, my almost my entire life, we've been fighting this war. And to know these things and to have this information means that we can also demand that our public officials know this information, that they understand what they're doing and what they're they're sending our troops into and making better diplomatic decisions about who we support. And maybe we did make the, the best decision that of the options that we had. It is quite possible that we did, but to understand how the circumstances may have changed since 2014 when that original deal was brokered for the National Unity Government and to understand that we can change our mind or we can continue to back the same people or we can split the difference and really reading what's happening on the ground in the political situation and not just the security situation, that's really important. So I'll just leave you with that. Like I said, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We really like Twitter especially because we can keep you guys up to date on news all day long. And that's pretty awesome to stay informed on global issues. We really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. Please keep sending in questions. This Afghanistan podcast comes because someone was asking about that. We have two articles on the website under the geography section about Afghanistan and the fighting season, which we might get into on a different podcast. But this was just kind of an overview of the current political situation there. And that question came from a reader. So we're really happy about that. So if you have any questions, please email us. It's agsadaily at gmail.com. And we will be happy to answer any questions. If we don't get them to, get to them on the podcast, we'll just email you back directly and answer the questions. We really love them. We love explaining things. We'll send you articles and YouTube videos and links and maps and whatever else we find. Um, so yeah, just keep asking questions, keep sending in emails. You can tweet at us. You can direct message us on Instagram, whatever way is easiest for you to get in touch. Please do please share this podcast with your friends and family. We're really trying to get our readership up on the site and everything. And we will be sending out the first newsletter for next week on Monday. So be looking for that in your inbox. If you have any questions or comments or concerns or feedback, please email us, tweet at us, direct message us on Instagram, leave a comment on our blog, whatever you need. Um, we are Daily, agsadaily.com. And we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. Have a happy weekend, everyone.